Jesus is better. He's better. Have you ever had to share just an overwhelming amount of information with someone and give them just a, a, a great amount of evidence to convince them of something? Have you ever had to do that? Trying to explain to someone about something and you just have to just lay on the proof for them to believe it. Maybe... They have personal reasons for holding on to what they believe to be true. And to convince them of the opposite, you're just going to have to give them an overwhelming amount of evidence to prove otherwise. And even at times when you do that, they still refuse to believe the truth. Any of y'all have that? It's frustrating, isn't it? I feel that way sometimes when I'm sharing Christ with people. I'm like, what more do you need, right? Well, theologically, a heart change and the Holy Spirit, but we can be this way, right? Sometimes we need convincing of certain things for one reason or another. I, I know I was that way this past football season with the Texas Longhorns. They kept losing and I kept making excuses. No, they're not bad. They just got to get it together. And it took them losing to Kansas for me to finally say, yep, they're bad. So it took me a while, all right? At times, certain people in certain circumstances, they take a lot of convincing. And that's who I believe the author of Hebrews is dealing with in this book. His Jewish Christian audience needed quite a bit of convincing when it came to showing them that the old Levitical priesthood is no longer necessary. And when it came to showing them that Christ is our supreme high priest from a superior priesthood. Now, for us today, believers, viewing Jesus as God's great high priest who is supreme is not all that difficult, right? That's not that tough for us to get our minds around. But for a Jew in the first century, this truth was a hard truth to swallow. This was difficult for them to accept. Again, think about it. They had grown up hearing from friends and family about the rich history of the Levitical priesthood. And for their whole lives, they had heard friends and family speak highly of the office of high priest and the great priestly work done on behalf of the Jewish people. For the longest time, this was the only agency in place where God and man were brought together. The high priest was the go-between in this day for man to go to God. Without him, there would be this great disconnect from God. Therefore, the Jews in this day were not going to turn their hope and their trust away from this person, from this office of high priest, and leave this system behind without good reason. That's why the author of Hebrews starts at Hebrews 4 and explains in Hebrews 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 
and 9 and into chapter 10 on why Jesus is our great high priest and why his person and work is sufficient and why his priesthood is supreme. So for those of y'all that maybe have been out a few weeks and you come back and you're like, man, Graham is still talking about the priesthood of Jesus? The reason I'm doing that is because God is doing that through the author of Hebrews because this is a very important truth for the audience in, in that day to understand and it's important for us today because we are in need of a priest as well. We're in need of a perfect priest to stand before God on our behalf and that is, that is Jesus. So coming to understand and embrace this truth was no small thing for the Jewish Christians in Hebrews, which is why the author spends so much time and a whole lot of real estate in this book addressing this issue. We, we have said that this teaching about Jesus as our supreme priest is really the heart of Hebrews. It's the essential truth, and it's a tough truth to grasp, so he spends a whole lot of time discussing it he takes more time on this than anything else in the book and he spends a lot of time giving reasons as to why jesus is our great high priest from a better order of priest who accomplished a greater work than all the priests so in each passage though he's continuing with this theme he's giving different reasons as to why jesus is our great high priest and we'll see that again today but first, a brief review. Chapter 4, remember, the author of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus is God's Son who has come to us to function as our great high priest by becoming one of us. Christ stepped out of eternity and into history. God the Son has condescended down to us, get this, so that we can ascend through him to God. He has come to identify with us so that we could identify with him so that we could have access to God through Christ. In the first part of Hebrews 5, the author of Hebrews shows us how Christ meets and exceeds the requirements for the high priest. He tells us that Christ, like the high priest of old, was appointed by God, but he has been appointed to be our permanent priest forever and has not come only to live for us and sympathize with us, but also to suffer for us. He came, he acted as both our perfect priest and perfect sacrifice for sin. He as our priest has offered up the perfect sacrifice for sin and that sacrifice is himself. Christ lived the perfect life we can never live. He laid that perfect life down. He offered that perfect life up for us to God and through faith alone and him alone get this we can have the perfect life of the Lord Jesus applied to our life in exchange for our sinful life. That's the gospel. We also learn Hebrews 4 and in Hebrews 6, though Christ died, he rose again. And he returned to the Father. And he has passed through the heavens for us into the heavenly temple, through the heavenly veil, into the heavenly holy of holies, into the heavenly throne room of God. And he is there before the Father 
all day, every day, all the time, forever as our, as our perfect priest, as the lamb who was slain. And we're told that he anchors those of us who are trusting in him alone for salvation. He anchors us there with him before God within the veil in the heavenly holy of holies in God's presence where Christ is there with the Father night and day, every day interceding for us. In chapter 7, we learn that Christ is our great high priest from a greater priestly order, the order of Melchizedek, who was the king priest of the one true God, who his priesthood precedes and supersedes the entire Jewish race, and that, of course, includes the priesthood. Jesus is that kind of priest. He is a king priest whose priesthood is universal, meaning that he is a priest for everyone who places their faith and trust in him alone. Christ's priesthood is also a priesthood of righteousness and peace. The priest of Aaron were flawed go-betweens. They were beset with weakness, we're told. They were ignorant and wayward. They were weak and quick to sin. Christ is the perfect priest, a sinless priest, a righteous priest who through his life and sacrifice makes a way for sinful man to be made at peace with holy God. Also, again, we learn throughout Hebrews 7 that Christ's priesthood is a permanent, powerful, and perfect priesthood. He is our perfect priest who saves us completely, makes us righteous permanently before God and secures us in his presence forever. And that's just a brief summary of all that we have discussed here. We have spent many weeks talking about this and we're not going to stop just yet because God doesn't stop. He continues on. If you have your Bibles, you're not there yet, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Where we're going to be this morning. Continuing our series through Hebrews entitled Jesus is Greater. And this morning, we're going to see more reasons why Jesus is our great high priest. And let me tell you, the reasons he gives in this chapter and in the ones to come are as good as any that we've looked at so far. Good stuff to come, good stuff this morning. We're going to see in Hebrews 8, the author make the point again that Jesus is our great high priest, better than Aaron, better than the Levitical priests. And the reason why is because of his seat, his sanctuary, and his service. Okay? There's your outline right there, but don't leave yet. We've got to fill that in. His seat, his sanctuary, and his service. Notice first that Christ is supreme because of his seat. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we're saying is this. So he's getting to the point here, all right? He said all of these things. He's gone on for, for chapters, and he's like, okay, the point of what we're saying here, the point of what I'm getting at here is this. And then he gives a summary, and then he continues on with it. But he says, the, the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Notice what he says here is similar to what he says in Hebrews chapter 4, 
verse 14. Hold your place and flip back over there. Hebrews 4, 14. This is when he begins to talk about Jesus' priesthood. In Hebrews 4, 14, he says, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Here he says, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. These two verses really serve as as bookends in this section of scripture about Jesus being our great high priest. And notice in Hebrews 4.14, we talked about this. We look at here, what he's talking about here is what Jesus has done in the heavenlies on our behalf. As our priest, he's passed through the heavens for us into the heavenly holy of holies. And he anchors us, those of us trusting in him alone for salvation, he anchors us within the veil in the presence of God. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, we're told that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, Hebrews 4.14 would have made more sense to a first century Jew than what is said in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 because in Hebrews 4 14 it describes what Jesus has done as our high priest but in Hebrews 8 1 the the words high priest and seated don't really go together in the mind of a first century Jew you see the Levitical priest never sat down they never did Hebrews 10 11 we're told and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. No priest in the Old Testament was ever finished with his work. He could never sit down because his job was never finished. It was always incomplete because of the fact that that. The sacrifices he offered, though they pointed people in faith toward the work of Christ, their sacrifice could never take away sin. They couldn't, through their priestly works, destroy the works of the devil, tear the holy veil away, usher people in to the presence of God. So they had to continue to stand daily and offer sacrifices repeatedly, the same ones for the same offenses, which could never take away sin. Do you know when you study about the tabernacle and the layout and the furniture in the tabernacle, do you know what you don't find throughout the holy place? Seats. There was one seat in the temple. That was the mercy seat. No priest in his right mind is ever going to prop himself up on that, right? That's the earthly throne of God. So no priest ever sat down while in the temple. But Jesus comes along as our superior priest from a superior order of priests, offers one sacrifice and says, to Telestai, it's finished, and he sat down. That's the kind of priest he is. He accomplished at one time what the entire Levitical system couldn't accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering... Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ brought men to God through one sacrifice, and we said a moment ago that sacrifice was himself. 
Christ did it all. He paid it all. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The work that he has done for us on our behalf is finished. When it comes to the work on your behalf, believers, when it comes to salvation, listen, Christ is sitting down. He is seated. There's nothing to add to what he has done. We often think that there is. We often think there's something that needs to be added to that work, but we're wrong. Nothing needs to be added. Christ has accomplished everything for us. He has paid it all for us, has secured for us an eternal redemption through his blood, and he is seated. And again, where is he seated? In the heavenly holy of holies, where we are anchored at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He is seated at the Father's right hand on the throne of God. Why can he sit there? Because he's God. He is God the Son. Christ in the Father's presence, in the holy of holies at his right hand, that is a major emphasis throughout the book of Hebrews. And the reason why is so that this Jewish audience would know that the work in the true temple is complete. No more need for anyone to run around any longer in earthly temple, in an earthly temple in, in Jerusalem, right? The work is finished. The true priest has come. He has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished when it comes to our salvation and he is seated in the heavenlies, in the heavenly temple, the heavenly holy of holies, as our perfect priest and sacrifice as the worthy lamb who was slain. This, I believe, is one of the crowning arguments for the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus, right there. The fact that he is seated in the heavenly holy of holies at God's right hand. So he is supreme because of his seat, He's also supreme because of his sanctuary. Look at verse 2. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. We've made this point several times already, but it's an important one. Christ does not act as our high priest in an earthly physical tent like the tabernacle or an earthly physical building like the temple those places are no longer in existence no the place where he ministers is in heaven he ministers in the real holy of holies we're told he is a a minister in the holy places the true tent that the lord set up not man jesus not a priest in an earthly tabernacle or temple but in the true holy place in the heavenlies the true tent that the lord has set up that's where god the son ministers skip down to verse four he says this now if he were on earth he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law 
So notice the priesthood is still in place here. This is a little side note, but we see here the priests are still functioning, which helps us in the dating of Hebrews being before A.D. 70, because the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. So we believe it's around the mid-60s that this book is written. They're, they're still uh, working. The, priest are, the priesthood is still in place. The temple still stands here. But here, the writer of Hebrews, once again, he uses that, and he sets Jesus' priesthood apart from that and apart from the other Jewish priests. He says... If Christ were here on earth, he would not be ministering in this way. And he didn't during his earthly ministry, did he? Christ never entered into the earthly temple and passed through the earthly veil into the earthly holy of holies to offer sacrifice for sin. We don't have that in the gospel accounts, right? Why? Because he's not a priest after the order of Aaron. That's where the Levitical priest functioned. Christ is from a different tribe, from a different, he's a different kind of priest from a different priesthood. Look at verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So here we learn that the earthly and physical temple, the earthly and physical priesthood, again, was less than the best, right? They served a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. And were, they were meant to be that way from the beginning. When, when Moses first was instructed to set up the tabernacle, he was given plans on how to build it. And where did the plans originate? with God in heaven, and they were meant to be a mere shadow or a copy of the original. So get this, we've already said that Christ's priesthood precedes and supersedes the Levitical priesthood, right? Here we're told that the sanctuary where he ministers precedes and supersedes the tent or tabernacle and temple. You see that? From the start, the tabernacle and later the temple and the priesthood were meant to be just a shadow of what truly existed in the heavenlies. And again, he's saying all of this to make the point that Jesus is a superior priest who is seated in a superior sanctuary. The priest of earth serving in their earthly temple were only types. They were only shadows of the heavenly priesthood and tabernacle. That was the first, the pattern that they all followed. So Christ is supreme because of his seat, because of his sanctuary. Third and finally, because of his service. Look back up at the first part of verse 2 again. Christ is a minister in the holy places. Now, folks, this right here is amazing. Think about this. The Lord Jesus, in all his glory, our majestic king, is in the heavens acting as our priest, ministering in the holy places on our behalf right now. God the Son, 
from His throne on high is still serving you and me. He ever lives, right? To serve us in this way, to make intercession for us. In all His glory, He is serving you and me. I woke a baby up, I'm sorry. Is that not amazing? If that doesn't humble you and move you to want to live a life of sold-out service to Christ, I don't know what will. Look at verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, we learn in verse 1 that Christ is sitting, right? Yet in verse 2, we're told that he is serving. So he is sitting, yet he is serving. Which one is it? It's both, right? He is seated in terms of the work that he has accomplished when it comes to our salvation. That was a one-and-done thing, a one-time thing. In that way, he is seated. But we learn in verse 2 that he continues to serve. He continues to minister on our behalf. And here in verse 3, we also see that Jesus is still at work ministering as our great high priest in the area of of gifts and sacrifices. Now, back in Hebrews 5, we saw this exact same phrase, gifts and sacrifices, used when describing the work of the high priest. In Hebrews 5, 2, we're told, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Same phrase used in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3. And we said that that phrase, gifts and sacrifices, speaks in general terms of all the different tasks of the priest. Okay? Sort of a catch-all statement of what they did. In that day, people brought the priest a variety of different gifts and sacrifices that were offered up to God for different reasons. For example, at times, a burnt offering would be offered to demonstrate one's commitment to God. A fellowship offering would be offered to demonstrate one's uh, thankfulness for fellowship with God. Guilt offerings were made to atone for unintentional sins against one another. And a sin offering was offered for sin. In other words, the gift offerings were given to represent personal dedication, commitment, and thanksgiving to the Lord, okay? Let me repeat that. The gift offerings were given to represent personal dedication, commitment, and thanksgiving to the Lord, while the blood offerings were for sin. And the priests were responsible for offering both. Jesus has already offered the one final blood sacrifice that is sufficient for sin for all people at all time who are trusting in Christ. This work is completely finished. But the need, get this, the need for redeemed people to come and to continually dedicate themselves before God commit themselves afresh to Him, bring thanksgiving and praise to the one true God is something we are called to to do again and again and again. And these gifts of praise and thanksgiving that we offer up, Jesus offers up as our priest on 
our behalf to the Father. Verse 3 again, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for Christ also. None of us can praise God or thank Him, pray to Him, commit or dedicate ourselves to Him in worship and obedience and in service apart from Jesus Christ, right? That's why when we pray, we pray in whose name? In Jesus' name. Acknowledging the fact that our, that our access to God is through Christ alone. The only way we can draw near to God is through Christ. Through Him we have access to the Father completely because we are anchored in Him and with Him in God's presence. We also learn in Hebrews 7.25, Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Christ not only saves us, He secures us forever. He is not just our priest at Calvary, and then He retired. He is our permanent priest interceding for us forever. When we sin, when we fall short, believers, Christ is there before the Father interceding for us. He's there saying, you're covered, you're secure. Because I live, you live also. As my life goes on, so does yours, believers. He is ministering in that way for us. So he is supreme in his service. He offered the perfect sacrifice once and for all for sin by laying his perfect life down. He is currently serving us by interceding on our behalf, offering continual access to God's throne of grace so that we can bring our requests before the Father, so that we can commit ourselves afresh to him, so that we can continually enter into God's presence with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter his courts with praise on our lips. So Jesus is supreme because of his seat, his sanctuary, and his service. Skip down to the first part of verse 6. The writer of Hebrews says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent. Folks, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, Christ is supreme. He is our supreme priest. He is seated in his true sanctuary as our supreme sacrifice, offering God's superior service on our behalf. Therefore, Christ's ministry, his priesthood, is better. It's better. The author of Hebrews says, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent. He is supreme in every way. For all of those reasons and more, he says, so why do you continue to fool around in the shadows when you have access to the one true priest in the one true sanctuary offering up superior service to the one true and living God? That's what he's telling them. That's his point. It's a great point, right? Well, we're going to have to stop. We're going to have to stop there, okay? <laughs> We've looked at the fact that Christ is supreme in his seat and his sanctuary and his service. Next week, we're going to finish out Hebrews 8 by talking about the fact that not only is Christ supreme in his seat, his sanctuary, and his service, but also in his superior covenant. I got too much to say on that to continue on, all right? So we'll pick up there next week. 
But to close this morning, I want to I end with just a very simple question to ask you. If it is true that Christ is supreme in every way, if it is true that Christ sits in the supreme seat in all of existence on the heavenly throne as our great king, if that is true, follow me, doesn't it make sense that he should be seated in the supreme place in your life? If Christ is seated in the supreme place in all of existence, doesn't it make sense that he should be occupying the supreme place in your life? If Christ is on the throne... In the heavenly temple, doesn't it make sense that he should be sitting on the throne of your heart and life? I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Is he? Is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly temple, is he seated on the throne? Is he occupying the space reserved for him in your life? Or are you occupying that space? If you are, I urge you to, today to give Christ his rightful place by making him the Lord of your life. Get up off your throne. Get up off the throne reserved for him in your own life and bow your knee to King Jesus. Give your life up and over to him if you have not. Make him your Lord today. Let's pray.